Welcome to The Tangent, everyone. I'm Father Sam Kachuba, and today I'm really excited to be joined by my friend Samantha Kelly. Sam was a missionary at the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. She then went on to be a team director, a regional director for them, before establishing her own nonprofit apostolate, Fierce Athlete. You can check it out at fierceathlete.org. It's a special outreach in particular to female athletes. Sam is also the first Hall of Famer we've ever had on the tangent. She was a recent inductee into the Simsbury High School, Connecticut Hall of Fame. Thrilled to have her here and uh, to talk with her about her ongoing ministry, her ongoing formation, and all the great stuff that that she's doing uh, to help people to find their identity in Christ. Enjoy the show. Great. There we go. (laughs) Man, it's so good to see you. So good to see you too, Father. I feel like it's been, I don't know, it's, it's been a long time since I saw you actually in person. So it's really nice to be talking to you right now. This is great. Yeah. Father, and I was thinking the other day, you met me when I was kind of still a punk. Yeah. Well, you kind of still are a I, punk, but that was, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, that's I, true. I know. No, as soon as I said that, I'm like, mm, <laughs> still a punk. But I was even more of a punk back then. Yeah. You, you were, I, what, I think, a junior in college when I met you. Yeah. Because I met you through your focus missionary. Mm-hmm. At U- you were at UConn. And yep. uh, Angelina was, was working on you and bringing you into the faith. And I mean, you're, already, you're already in, but like kind of shoving you towards Jesus more and more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, wait, wait. It's evangelization. Drawing you towards Jesus more and more. Inviting right, you. Yes, right. that's what it was. Sorry. I, it was kind of like a challenge, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, yeah, that's, that's when I met. That's a, wow. That's like 12 years ago. Oh, I wasn't going to say how many years, but yep. Sorry. Maybe I should, here we, we are. We'll, we'll, we'll fix that in post. We definitely, no, won't. it's that's fine. staying in. That's no, definitely staying. It's fine. You can calculate my age. I think it was actually longer than that father. It, it might have, that would have been 2000. Okay. 13, 2010. Sure. So Let's say that. Up. Let's yeah. say that. Yeah. <laughs> But then you go on to be a focused missionary, a focused team director. Then you found Fierce Athlete. And now you you realize this. All right, so we've had a whole bunch of guests on the tangent so far. But you are the first Hall of Famer on the tangent. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, folks, Samantha Kelly is a recent inductee (laughs) into the Simsbury High School Hall of Fame. I've got it here on the website. Yep, you you were uh, oh with some gosh. some real some real luminaries uh, at Simsbury High. I I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. It, it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, and I'm not. I don't I don't want that to be the the, the impression at all. Um, but there it is. I mean, you're kind of a big deal, Samantha. Wow, you're kind of a big deal. I think people made way bigger of a deal about that than I would have. But to a lot of people, that means so much. And so I kind of had to humble myself and be like, oh, no, this is this is a big deal to some people. It's a big thing. Yeah. Now, what were you inducted for? Because, like, didn't you play multiple sports while you were there? Yeah. Yeah. So I think track and soccer primarily. I won nine state championships when I was in high school. But it yeah, was no seven big of deal. them were track. No big deal. Just like nine state championships. It's like, you know, just a small thing. Well, s- <laughs> Seven of them are track, 
you know, track you can win in multiple events. So I won in the triple jump and the hurdles a few times, and then we won the team. And then I won soccer and ice hockey. Soccer is my most proud one, though. Well, that's because that's that's your main sport. You you then went on to play that's in college right. and everything. Yeah, I didn't know right. you played ice right. hockey too. Right. I feel yeah, like every time I talk to you, years, I learn something new. But... Oh gosh, it was fun. It was kind of one of those things. Like, yeah, let's do this. Why not? But we want to see championships. That was fun. Yeah. Okay. What position did you play when you played hockey? Defense. D. Okay. All right. Yeah. Again, you uh, your athletic accomplishments are are far greater than anything I ever accomplished playing a sport, and uh, I'm I'm pretty impressed by that. Um, granted, thank you. If you had, if you played at the varsity level in middle school, you would have surpassed all of my athletic accomplishments. So, <laughs> <laughs> just to put it into context, I, I have no accomplishments, and, and you have many. It's it's awesome. All right. <laughs> so you just you, you're also getting involved now. You were telling me um, the other day with uh, Encounter. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me about Encounter yeah. School. Oh gosh, it's fire! <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, the charismatic renewal has been in the church for years, but it, I think we're at an interesting time in the church where there's so many people that have fallen away. That what's going to bring them back, like in Jesus' time, is signs and wonders. It's miracles. It's healing. It's revelations, um, prophecies. So, um, yeah, not definitely not on my radar. And I got an invitation to go to kind of one of their intro courses. And this priest was like, he didn't even know me. And he came up to me and he just started telling me, like, this prophecy about my life, how I was an athlete and how the Lord had all these great, was using that to accomplish these great things through me. And he knew, he didn't know me at all. Wow. It was crazy. And I was like, wow, Lord, there's something here. And I felt like that was an invitation to explore it deeper. When I'm working with young women, we're constantly, yeah, I shouldn't say constantly. A lot of the times I am working with them on healing and inner healing. And mm-hmm. so this is just kind of equipping me deeper but then I'm learning a lot about just the prophetic gifts, so knowledge, prophecy, and words of wisdom. And the Lord desires to use those. He desires, and I love it because I was intimidated by those things, but I love praying like, Lord, what is your heart for this person and how can I share it with them? And asking mm-hmm. the Lord like how he wants to love on on the person I'm praying with or praying for. Um, and like, that's the mission, right? We're supposed to be loving one another. So it's been wild. Yeah. It's, it sounds great. I mean, my exposure to the encounter school of, is it school of mission or school of ministry? I always, I always mix it up. Ministry. I think ministry. <laughs> Let's call it the encounter school of ministry. I don't know. It might be the encounter school of mission, but either way, it's really good. Um, we're looking yeah. to get one started here uh, in the diocese of Bridgeport, which is exciting. I think uh, it's happening. I'm, I'm pretty year. sure. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it's uh, they've got the first cohort of people who are going to participate, and then the idea is, yeah, for it's just to to keep growing. So, I'm excited that it, it'll be in the area because I think it provides a really great formative resource for people. Um, mm-hmm. But then, precisely what you're talking about that that ability to go out and to help people who are in need of healing um, on a spiritual level to help them to pray through that healing, and then to also equip people just to better understand what their faith actually does for them you know a lot of times we we just kind of stop with the faith is it's oh this is a thing that i believe 
So it's it's internal, mm-hmm. and because I believe it, that's that's it. We forget that the faith actually equips us to do. It gives us something that we're actually capable of, like through the gifts of the spirit that we received in baptism and confirmation, we're actually able to go out and and do something with it. (laughs) We we can Mm -hmm. actually put those gifts to work. It's easy to just think, well, I'm, yeah, I've I've got this faith and what a gift it is, but that's kind of where it stops. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more. Right. And exactly. And we think, oh, well, Jesus was God. That's why he healed people and did all these miracles. But he said, you will do greater signs than this. And if we look at the Acts of the Apostles, I mean, this is kind of crazy. So, But I'm going to share it anyway. Like Peter healed people with his shadow. I was just at this conference, the encounter conference. And granted, the guy who did this is so humble. And he really felt like this was a call from the Lord. So this isn't like some thing you're just going to be able to do. Like, I feel like this is... This is years and years and years of intimate depth of prayer. But this guy was like, the Lord desires to heal people through my shadow. And over 100 people were healed by this guy's shadow. Some woman took out her her trach. It was like nuts. She's like, what is going on? Wow. But we will. We will do greater works than these. I mean, I saw it with my own eyes. It's like, and that's a very special call. But even just having that like mentality it's like in confirmation you've heard this probably father but it's the analogy of the chocolate milk have you heard this so it's like in confirmation we're like given the spiritual gifts but it's like the syrup of chocolate milk when you put it in the glass or if you just let the milk sit there all the syrup like settles to the bottom right right and but when we like asking the lord for the spiritual gifts and we're practicing them it's like mixing the chocolate milk up Okay. So when we practice the gifts and we ask the Lord to bless us, it's like they're there. Like they're there sitting, but we have to like use them and practice them. But when you have just that, I don't know, that like insight on life or that mentality of, no, like the Lord desires to use me in my like weakness and littleness and work through me to heal and to help people. It it just kind of changes the way it's like, changes the way you just view the faith and view life and view that active part of the faith. Right. Well, that's, uh, that's what Paul says to Timothy, right? To stir up the gift of God, which is in you, um, stir up mm. the, the gift of faith that you received, the, the gifts of the spirit that you received. Um, and then bring that gift, that little fire into a, a real enduring and burning flame. Yeah. Stir up that mm-hmm. gift. It, it is so easy to forget that though. To like to forget mm-hmm. what gifts we have and that that they're present, um, we get beat up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole like everything, oh, everything is a kind of a distraction from from those gifts. And to like to be reminded that those gifts are are number one available to us all the time, and already mm-hmm. ours. Like we already possess them, and what a gift it is yeah. that we already possess them. That they're, that they're already within us. Yeah. So as you're doing the the encounter school, do you have an end game in mind? Is this in support of your ministry with, with fierce, um, what's the, what's the goal? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the reason I started. I, again, I work with a lot of young women who are in deep need of healing. Um, and what I was doing, I was doing a lot of praying with women. Um, but I, you know, when I went through this kind of taste test this summer, it, it, you know, there was a lot of like healing memories, inner healing, just things that, um, I'm aware of, but I, I want to be deeper equipped in, um, but I don't know. Like I feel this call in my heart just to, like, I've been asked to be on the leadership team of, of my school and 
I don't know. The Lord's doing something with it. So I'm just kind of trying to remain open. I mean, it's definitely already being applied to my work and my speak, my speaking and my work with young adults. Um, but I don't know fully what the Lord's going to do with it. All right. That's kind of fun yeah. though, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know where this yeah. is going. Let's see what God wants to do. I don't know. You know it, what I'm going to do? And that, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it takes a little bit of boldness to be able to say, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm going to accept that there's something that you've asked of me and I don't fully understand what it is. I'm, I'm yep. ready to go. It's, there's risk. Yeah, there's risk. I'm going to, I speak at this young adult group once a month. And I think next time I speak and I'm announcing this, so it's probably, I guess now has to happen. I'm not going to plan my talk. There is a woman that spoke. Her name's Barbara Heil. She's just fire. And she's like, I don't speak. I preach. And she shows up with no agenda and just like ask the Holy Spirit what he wants her to preach about or speak about. And she just goes. This woman's crazy. So I think I'm going to try it. <laughs> but crazy good. Like crazy yeah. good. Oh, yeah. Like, crazy, cra- crazy in the, in the, in the yeah, correct like way. Totally, like the, the, the good way. Yeah. <laughs> Doss out of the Holy Spirit. What do you want? Right. It. it it's actually intimidating because I can't really prepare. I prepare my heart. Yeah. Right. And I prepare my like, and that's the thing about this is it's all flows from a deep interior life. Mm. Um, so I can prepare my heart, but then taking that risk of saying, okay, Holy Spirit, like, what do you want to speak to this specific group of people tonight and just see what he says and then go. So is that, is that what you've been doing? When no, you, I'm going to you, try it. You're going to try it. Okay. Hey, that's that's a great thing, though. I, I think yeah. sometimes with, with I mean, usually when I go for it, I was to say usually when I when I give talks, they're eighty percent planned, right. right? Sort of planned, and then like the, the Holy Spirit kind of fills in the gaps, but I kind of know where I'm going. But I want to leave more room for the Holy Spirit. That's a great desire, though, and and a great yeah. move too to. I think anytime we're we're going out and we're trying to evangelize, we're trying to share something of of God's word. We can overplan, you know, and mm-hmm. and so we plan too much. I found this as as a homilist, right? That I would I would prepare a homily, and I would write down every single word, everything that I wanted mm. to say, and I'd give the homily. And I was I was good at doing it without looking at the notes, even though I had them in front of me. I could do the quick glance down and then look up. And so nobody really noticed that I was reading off the page and I pretty much had it memorized. But I started to find that there were things that needed to be said sometimes. And the Lord would just push me to it. And so I would do mm-hmm. it. But then I would try to get back on track. I try to get back to what mm. I had prepared. And inevitably, whatever it was that the Lord had put on my heart at that particular mass to say, instead of going with it, I would try to say it, but then mm. I was always kind of, I was getting in the way, basically. And I was saying, no, Lord, I have something already prepared. Like, I've got something better. And he would say, no, say, say it <laughs> this way. Say it this way instead. So eventually I gave up having notes when I do a homily and I just like prepare ahead of time, basically what I want to say. But now, even now I'm like, ah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of have this, this script in my head for what I want to say. And is yeah. it coming out the, quite the right way? And everyone's while like, I don't know if people ever, ever notice this, but if, if I'm saying a mass like daily mass or something, so it's a really short homily, 
like I'll be walking back to the altar after the from the from the pulpit after the after the homily going, what the heck did I just say? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm like confused by everything. But then there's those days too where mm-hmm. I go, I'm so grateful that I didn't come in with with the notes because you realize that it it yeah. wasn't me saying anything. It was it was the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. using my voice to say what needed to be said. And that's kind of the freedom yeah. that you get when you say, "All right, Lord, I'm going to give this to you. I've I, I know that I've got an ability here." So you're going and, and giving these talks to a to a young adult group every month, but you're you're on the road teaching and preaching and giving talks and workshops all the time, aren't you? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right. It's we're, we're midway through January, uh, as we record mm-hmm. this, uh, how many different cities have you been in, in this calendar year so far? Uh, one, two, only three. Oh, only three. We're three weeks. Well, into you talk the- about, but my December was like absolute insanity into <laughs> the beginning of January. Now I'm like home for a while. Okay. So it's nice. Yeah. I, I like the, <laughs> I like the, the quick count. Let's see. One, two, three. Yeah. Only three, only three, but it's, it's only three. three. We're barely three weeks into the year. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. It's fine. Unreal. I love it, but it is a little crazy sometimes. I go through waves of just insanity and then like dying and recovering. <laughs> it's the dying and rising. Here again. we are. If you yeah. get to do that, if, if if you get those those times of insanity, is it all for Fierce Athlete for this ministry that you're doing or is it other stuff as well? Um, It's a mix. It's predominantly Fierce. Um but I'll find myself speaking in other circles too, or because I'm the president, I have to attend different events, different conferences, you know, it's like just all the different things you have to be present in happen. So that adds to my travel schedule for sure. Yeah, I would, I would imagine. Uh, all right, let's, let's do a little bit of background here for people who are not familiar with Fierce Athlete. Uh, when did you found it? Why did you found it? What did the Holy Spirit do to, to put that on your heart? Gosh, it was all the Holy Spirit. 2016, I was finishing up with Focus. And I was just like, Lord, what do I do with my life? And I had a friend, she just said, you could do anything, really. So she's like, dream with the Lord. And so the three things that came on my heart were um, athletes, femininity, and theology of the body. I had recently encountered the teaching of theology of the body and began teaching it to athletes because athletes, it's so body focused. And then just all the struggles female athletes have with body image, with femininity, with sexual confusion. I really saw this teaching as the anecdote. Um, and so those three things were on my heart and I was looking around and there are a lot of great Christian Catholic athlete organizations out there. Um, but admittedly, they have admitted this to me. They'll, they'll admit that they're either male dominant or they're not willing to to talk about some of the really hard issues um, mm. for various reasons. And so, yeah, I, I brought it to prayer and the Lord is like, I want you to start a nonprofit, to which I very naively said, sure, let's do <laughs> Why that. Why not? <laughs> not, knowing, not knowing what it meant to start a company and have a board and file with the IRS and all those things. But I mean, those are the details the Lord takes care of, you know. 
And right I, he knows me. He'll like ask something <laughs> of me without telling me the full extent because if he told me everything, right, I'd say no because I'd get overwhelmed. So, uh, but yeah, that was back in 2016. I've been full time. I went and worked for the TOB Institute while I was forming it, which was great personal formation. Um, but I've been full time. I think it's coming up on five years. Five years. It'll be five wow. years this summer. Wow. Which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So our mission, our mission is to promote true identity and femininity in female athletics. Um, so we start with, you know, just every issue. I, I think this is in life as well. Every issue, every sin is just a lack of knowing who we actually are as the Lord's daughter or the Lord's son. Um, yeah. So we start there, right? You're not your performance. You're not your parents' opinion of you. You're not your teammates' opinion of you. Like you're, you just are. You're just good. And then flowing from there, how do you live out your femininity? How do you live out your sport? All those other pieces. Nice. That can be one of the hardest things for people to understand, to, to grasp their own goodness. How many times have you encountered that person who's, they're talking about their own past wounds or their, their struggles and the idea that they're good or that they're enough is, is a completely foreign mm -hmm. concept to them. Yeah. Yeah. When you're dealing with that with a, with an athlete, what, what do you say? How do you, how do you help? Them? I mean, obviously every circumstance is different. So every individual person who's right. struggling with that question is, is dealing with it in their own way. But what do you find is the, is the way to approach it with them or, or just to, to speak truth into their life? Yeah, I mean, I think explaining what it, that actually is and why. It, it, and what I mean by that is is just saying to somebody, I find this very effective. It's like you could – like I say this when I'm speaking to athletes. Like you could sit in that chair for the rest of your life or you could go on to become the next Olympic gold medalist in whatever event you do. And God would still love you the same. Now our proper response to that love is to use our gifts he's given us to the fullest potential. But – he doesn't love us for what we do. You know, he doesn't, but he just, he delights in those things, but he just loves you for you. And that like really strikes people. I think because we live in such just an overactive culture, like the spirit of activism is just rampant and people don't believe that they just are. They just good as they've been created, as they've been designed by the Lord. Um, so just so so explaining that truth to them, but then explaining the depth of the Lord's love for them. And you could do that through telling them what he did for them, like the 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 length and the depth he went to what depths he went to for them in, in his crucifixion. Um but also just his particular love for them too. Yeah. Um and design of them and their goodness. Um but then once you begin to say those things then it's when those other issues kind of pop up. So that's where this inner healing comes in cuz it's like, well I don't believe I'm beautiful. Well why? Like why? And getting to the deeper root or wound or vow that they've made of like, well, you know, my my mom when I was young used to say this to me. It's like, oh, so all the time you've believed that you're ugly because of that, right? So we we can heal those things which helps then transform the heart to be open. Yeah. to receive their own goodness. Yeah, you go back to some of those early wounds though and they're they're so I don't want to say definitive because we're not defined by the wound. We're defined by who mm -hmm. we really are in God's image and and how he loves mm -hmm. us, right? 
but we take on the identity of those of those early wounds. Um, and sometimes it's something that that seems so, like in hindsight, it seems so silly, or it seems so unimportant. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that for whatever reason, that word, somebody said this to me, somebody said this about me. That's the thing that I've internalized and have that's become kind of core to my identity. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's sort of undoing the the shame that comes with it because like how often do you find somebody's uh, like upset with themselves for believing something that they know isn't true? They've they've Pretty been told often. something that yeah they've been told something their whole life and they've they've believed it they know it's not true but it's it's hurt them their entire life and and they're upset so now they're they're mad at themselves for having been hurt by something that's not their fault in the first place, but they're struggling right, with it. Right. Right. And then it, like to, to speak that, that kindness to them and, and to recognize, I, I, I see, I see where you're struggling. I see what that struggle looks like. Um, I, I might not be able to, to fix it for you. Right. Like I might not be able to, to tell you everything's, everything's perfectly okay, but I just, I want to at least be able to, to, help you open your heart to the reality. So here's the reality. What do you need in order to, to get to that place and, or in order to hear it and to receive it? A lot of times you're working with, a lot of times you're working with athletes who are at the end of their career. Mm-hmm. They've gone years and years and years training and doing all this stuff, especially, I mean, female athletes, most especially, do you have any any pro athletes that you're working with? Like any professional women athletes that you? That's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah, that's so cool. It's fun. They're fun. <laughs> I always yeah. remember. That I'm going to age myself here just a little bit. Okay. Uh, nice. Yep. When I was being confirmed, Rebecca Lobo came and talked to our confirmation class, and this was right oh. on the heels. Like she had just. This was the beginning of the WNBA. She had just won her national championship at UConn. She was the most famous woman in the state of Connecticut by far. Oh, easy. She yep. was definitely the most famous. And she had just started playing for the New York Liberty. And she came to my confirmation class. And cool. it was, it was unreal. <laughs> it was so cool. And she talked to us about uh, how important it was to have a relationship with God no matter what you were doing. And mm. I... I I didn't keep up with her. Well, you know, I was I was in eighth grade or ninth grade or something at the time, oh, yeah, so I, I didn't you know. really keep up with what was going on after that. But um, I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if that's that's still a huge part of her life. Uh, but it it appeared that it was something that was that that she really cared about. So I was I remember being really struck by that. Like, this is this is really cool. Um, yeah. But as as we know, professional sports is pretty much a, a male game. Right. This is this mm-hmm. is a thing where it's it's men who go on and, and play professionally, and the women's professional sports uh, don't have the same kind of traction uh, nationally, mm-hmm. at least at least in this country. Maybe, maybe other places it's yep. it's bigger. I don't know. Uh, but if yep. if we've got that then, happening, um, then that means by the time college ends, and this would be true honestly for for most male athletes too, like the percentage. Mm-hmm. Statistically, the percentage that makes it to the professional ranks is really low. <laughs> it's it's really, really low. not that yeah. many. You know, like parents, if you're putting your kids into leagues and you think they're gonna they're gonna go pro, they're probably not. <laughs> I don't want to mm-hmm. I don't want to be a huge downer or anything, but it's like it's a really small percentage. Well, that means that if yeah. you're working with with young women, uh, 
let's say through college into their college years and you, and you're sharing this good news with them about about themselves you're helping them to cultivate the the sense of of their sport um what's the experience for them when something that has been so much a part of their identity is kind of winding down and they still have so much of their life ahead of them mhm right yeah it's it i mean there's a death that happens Really, like these athletes have to go through a grieving process. And even I mean, even if you know, like like by the time I retired, quote unquote, I knew I was a daughter of God. Like I, I really had internalized that truth. But it, there's still a, a natural grieving process that has to happen because of the fact that so much of my life and, and everything in my life from who I hung out with to what I did in my free time to what I ate, like everything was surrounding, um, this sport. And so, yeah, there is a, there's a, a natural process of grief that needs to happen. Um, the unfortunate thing, and, and we're doing something about it, which I'll tell you in a sec, but is that there is very, very little resources for athletes retiring. Like I did a survey of former yeah. college and professional athletes and I was just like, like 30 women and some varying degrees of faith. And I was like, what was there? And the, the majority said like nothing. And I felt alone because you move, you're not with your teammates anymore. You know, you're with new coworkers who weren't athletes and there's just this sense of isolation. There's a sense of what do I do now? Yeah. You know, I had one woman say, I had one woman say, I don't think I'll ever love anything as much as I did my sport, which is like so sad and disordered. But I I get it because you know, she wasn't one that really had much faith and she's you know, she was one a professional wow. athlete and then right? It's like, you know, it, she's it, getting married and 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 it's like, no, but there's so much more to right. life. It makes perfect um, sense though cuz you dedicate so much time so many hours and it it's got to be a passion you you can't pursue this if you don't care like you you're not going to go and play the most competitive level of of a sport and not care about it at all there's there's got to be something burning in your heart that says this this matters but yeah i can see how that that can be the thing that you love the most and to not be able to see the possibility of a greater love like Mm-hmm. Or to not not believe that I'm capable of a greater love, mm-hmm. I can I can see that. Yeah, that. So you're right. I think it's it's a disordered form of love, but it makes logical sense. Mm-hmm. In insofar as disorder can be logical, <laughs> right? It, ma- it makes sense. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So some of it's very natural. Some of it's disordered. Um, yeah, we are. I'm actually beta testing right now um, a course that I'm doing. It's a 12 week online course for athletes retiring who are or who have re- like retired in recent years. Cool. Um, and there's yeah, it's all on like redefining identity, truly defining identity. Yeah. There's a whole kind of healing process, like pro- like processing the both the the good, but also the bad. You know, like the things that hurt from sport the comments made or the pressures fell or the ways that, you know, we were let down. Um, but then it transitions into, okay, well, how do I work out now? Because for your whole life, you've been told what to do. Right. And it's been very intense. So how do I have just this, um, view of working out to, you know, help my longevity? How do I eat now? How do I find new passions? 
Um, because the heart has been created for passion. Um, what are ways that I can just open my eyes to the broader beauty of the world and discover, um, new things both in and in and outside the faith, um, that will really, yeah, fill my heart. Maybe not in with the greatest love as, as your sport once was, but, but in new, new ways. Um, yeah, so we're beta testing that right now and hope to have that rolled out the end of the spring. Um, because it's, because there's, there is no other resource really, at least wow. an, a, an integrated one, I would say, um, that's addressing, you know, the mental, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual. So I'm excited about that. That's awesome. I think w- wouldn't they, wouldn't there seem to be like lots of opportunities for a job maybe, but not so much the rest of the person like, Hey, you retired. Why don't you come and be a commentator on, on TV? Uh, mm-hmm. come, come talk about the sport. Well, you're like, you, you start at this school. Um, so now you can be one of the, uh, the color commentators, uh, for our, our women's basketball program or something like that. So like the, there's mm-hmm. those kinds of opportunities or Hey, come and coach, uh, which can mm-hmm. also be great. And here, here you are plugged right back in, but not everybody wants to coach. Not everybody wants to get on TV and, and talk about things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. even, even those spots, they're, they're really limited. So yeah, where do you go? And then to have the team stripped away, to have the, the coaching, like you get used to having Mm -hmm. guidance every day. That's not there anymore. Yeah. That's really powerful. I like that integration idea though, right? Integrating Mm -hmm. the, all all the different aspects of, of a person's humanity and how important it is to to integrate those. Yeah. Do you find that people are, kind of rediscovering their identity then as the, as they go through this, as, as one thing gets put away, it never really gets put away though. Like mm-hmm. that, that person who is a, they're never really a former athlete. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's always that part. Like you're like, you're, you're never a, a former Marine. You're always a Marine. That, that doesn't yeah. go away. It's just that the, the time that you're active in it has passed. Right. Yep. So what are they discovering then? Or what are you, what are you helping people discover in their, in their identity? Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's a beautiful natural identity crisis that happens. And when that identity crisis happens, it's that, again, it's that, it's that beautiful moment in time where you can reveal, remind, maybe show for the first time that they are a daughter of God, period, They've been designed athletically, and that's a gift. But that doesn't have any bearing on their worth, you know? Um, but also, there's so much more to them, too, yeah. than just this athletic talent, you know? And I think that's kind of the, the cool part is sometimes you're so pigeonholed into this is what I do, this is my sport, and I know I'm good at it, but you have so many other gifts, talents, ways of thinking. Um, it, it, it can yeah, just provide a cool time to come back to some of those other things and professionally to explore those other things. Because like you said, very few want to be a coach or a commentator, you know? Um, and, and oftentimes the virtue that you learn in sport, my, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is JP two. He says, sport is the gymnasium of human virtue. Mm. And it's true. Like the virtues you learn in sport are why, you know, the, the majority of CEOs, top whatever CEOs in the country are former college athletes. 
they've just learned these skill sets and these virtues that actually carry you professionally and in other areas um, pretty far. Yeah. Do you find that you've got to point out that those virtues are, are there? All right, here you are, retiring athlete. Your your, your athletic days are, are coming to an end, but here's the virtues that you have. Here's the things that you've learned that translate to every other possible place that you would need that talent or that skill. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you're pointing that out mm-hmm. to people and helping them to like, all right, let, now let's plug this in? Yes and no. Okay. If they need it, uh, if there's a really part of, you know, this course, for example, is it's just a healing, you know? And so sometimes you, you get the kid that like they're done swimming. They won't step foot in a pool for years. Like they're just so wounded and burnt out that it's like, and, and this happens. You either get the kid that can't let it go, right? They go play professional in, in whatever country will take them or they're just, they hold on or you get the kid that like can't even, and again, virtues in the middle. But for some of those that have had such a negative experience, um, it's it's good to point those things out. But I think a lot of the virtues learned are just they're so ingrained in you that they're just kind of how you're going to approach things. They're just kind of yeah. there. That makes a lot of sense. You know, my, my brother played college baseball. He was he was the athlete like all, all of my athletic accomplishments. He, he did for me because um, I couldn't do them. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. And it was great. He's he's a really sweet fella. <laughs> But I know that when he when he stopped playing baseball, when he made the decision that, that he was done, um, it it was a long time before he even watched baseball. There there was a stretch. I remember him telling me about this where like he he didn't he didn't want to even think about the game, and I always thought he loved it. I always thought that it was it was a, an integral part of his of his whole life, and he was just he was burned and he was tired. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking with him about that. And then, and then he started coaching little league and he has got all these great stories from his days coaching little league that were just hysterically funny. <laughs> he was coaching like eight year olds. So <laughs> it's yes. really basic stuff. And then talking to kids about things like he looks out in right field and his right fielder's gone. And he's where's, where'd the, where'd that kid go? And he's, I'm over here coach. And he, he looks over and the kid's sitting on the bench. He goes, you're supposed to be in right field. He goes, yeah, but I wanted to have my snack. So the kid's sitting there having a snack. <laughs> he just, just pulled himself from the, from the practice. Cause yeah, he had other things he wanted to do. See, there's like that kind of freedom of my identity is not wrapped up in the position that I'm playing or the sport that I'm playing. <laughs> we like, we lose that over time. And then there's that, that deeper sense of the identity and, and identifying with it. Um, you know, you're you're saying before that as as people are kind of transitioning away from from the sport, uh, it, it's an identity crisis, like a real a, a real crisis. Um, what's that experience like for them? I mean, that that might be way too broad of a question, but like, what is it? What is it like to to be in that place where uh, with all the very evident talent and all the accomplishments that that have happened, what's it like for them to go through that experience of feeling like I, I don't know who I am? Because because I think it would be an unseen identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Like nobody looking at that from yeah. the outside is going to realize that that could possibly be happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think because of that thought a lot of athletes sometimes don't have permission to openly express some of their emotions i mean you hear like professional i was listening to this podcast of this professional swimmer 
who couldn't step foot for years on a pool deck. And she felt like, you know, people would look at her and say, oh, well, you had such an amazing opportunity. You went to the, you know, Olympics and you did this and you did this. And she's like, I almost didn't have permission for it to be both positive and negative. I didn't have permission for it to be hard or for me to, you know, acknowledge that there were certain things about it that weren't good. Um, and so because of that, I think athletes suffer silently and feel like it's so interesting. It's like yeah. they were good at this one thing. But now I think those questions can be asked. Of, well, what do I do? What am I good at? Who am I? And those are some pretty like deep, hard questions. Um, and when you don't have a, a proper view of the world and identity and truth and faith, like you feel worthless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you were saying before, there's the, the lie that somebody might believe from childhood. Uh, my, my mother told me I was ugly. And so I go through life thinking I'm, I'm ugly. Um, but there can also be the very positive truth that's been spoken to somebody, but they don't see the other truths that are present in their life as well. So the positive truth, like you're a great athlete, you have, you have incredible talent, you work hard and, and look at all these things that you're able to do because you've worked so hard, because you've practiced, because you've dedicated yourself. Uh, you are a great, uh, you're a great soccer player. You're a great basketball player. You're a great swimmer. Uh, you're really fast. And you're so talented and your, your work ethic is an inspiration and you've overcome all this. Like you could, you could go through the whole list. Like look at every, every single one of those little uh, ESPN vignettes that they do where they're talking about this, this kid who's overcome the greatest adversities and is now doing something really amazing. Um, look at all the human interest stories in the Olympics because like nobody's really watching because it's mm -hmm. just the sport by itself. It's like, you got to tell me something about this person and that's what makes them so inspiring. Like whatever yeah. it is. There's an internalized truth that's very real. You're a great athlete. Like you, Samantha Kelly, are a great athlete. But the time for that athletic talent is shifted away from you now. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change the truth. Like there's still something true and good. It's, it's something true. It's something good. It's something beautiful. But how do you help people then to, to see the other truths that are present in their life? Like what's the, what's the mm -hmm. word that they need to hear? What's the, maybe what's the obstacle that the Holy Spirit has to overcome in somebody's life? Like what, what, do you, what have you found mm. doing this for these last several years? You know, I, as you're talking, it's their goods. Like you're a great athlete. But I think like, and I look at my life, like when I became a missionary, I took this mentality of, well, I'm good at doing something. And so I'm going to be good at doing something else because that's where my worth lies. And that's disordered. So it's like, I'm going to be a great missionary. I'm going to, you know, and, and again, within the sphere of faith, like that's so, it's maybe a little bit more disordered, <laughs> right? Because no, it's God that does those things through me. But right. again, it was this this little lie of like, I have to earn love. I have to perform in order to be seen as good. And so while there's those truths, it's not. But again, the truth is you're a great athlete. It's not you're good at doing these things. You know, like it, there's a difference, I think, in doing versus being. 
So, yeah, you have to help them find that healthy balance and not just like fill that need to earn love or earn respect from other people with with just going on to the next thing. That makes sense. Yeah, well, because we put so much of that. All right, I'm good at these things, and I've earned it. Because especially if you're a good athlete, you know that you've you've had to earn it. It's there's a certain amount of natural athleticism that's that's present, but the best athletes have all earned what they're able to do. It's because of their hard work. It's because mm-hmm. they've practiced. It's because they've put in the time. It's because of all that stuff. Yeah. So you get into the habit. I, I would think of of expecting that you're earning it and then to realize that there's another aspect to that identity that isn't earned i think this is this isn't just true for athletes this is this is for any of us right sometimes it's like anybody i'm I'm a good student and i'm really smart i get good grades and i work really hard and i study really hard so i know that i'm a smart intelligent person but is that the thing now where i'm earning people's affection and love and admiration I'm I'm earning it because I'm consistently good in the classroom because my report card looks good every every semester. Um I'm a good lawyer, I'm a good doctor, you know, like I'm I'm earning by by that measure, which again, it's not that it's untrue. It is true. Mm-hmm. But that's not what makes me lovable. That's not what makes me good. Yeah. Exactly. So then why is it so hard for people to accept that they're, I mean, I'm asking you this question. It's a silly question to ask, but like, why, why is it so hard to accept that, that we're loved by God, that, that God sees our, our deepest self and knows us at, at a level that we don't even recognize our own value and worth. I mean, for each person, it's gotta be something different, Oh my gosh. right? There's, it's it, so it can't possibly I, be a blanket answer. Yeah. But I think there's a fear of vulnerability. There's a fear of being seen there. It's like our deepest desires are the thing we fear the most. Like, it's like, all I want to do is know that I'm loved and seen, but I'm imperfect. And so the thought of somebody knowing and loving and seeing me fully is scary. Right on. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to cover, I'm going to cover it up with what I do. Right. It's like, uh, and again, what I do flows, like the proper order is what I do flowing from knowing who I am, like faith and works. Like we need both. Like we receive the gift of who we are. And then the response to that is, wow, thank you, Lord, for the depth of your love for me. I'm going to go out and shine as bright as I can in whatever field I'm called to, you know, that's the proper response, but it's the proper order. But it's so hard to actually put it into that proper order. Right. We just, we get so caught up in the, in the the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So then there's, there's a balancing act that we've got to do. It seems like, right. That there's the the balancing act of the the good things that I want to accomplish. Um, I I've got all these dreams for things that I want to do at the parish, all these different ways that I, I want to minister to people and that I want to set things up and none of it's bad. Right. I don't have I don't have dreams of doing great evil to my parish community or anything. And I don't think anybody goes into like, yeah, I can't wait to be a doctor and do evil, evil things. Or I can't wait to to get into right. the, the world of, of financial advising and and just, you know, 
pure havoc everywhere. No, they're, they're all going in with, with this great ideal of, I want to do something good. I want to be, I want to be good at what I do. Uh, and, and I want I want to feel personally fulfilled. Um, I want other people to be, to be happy. Like there's, it's, it's a beautiful idea, right? So we're balancing that good desire and those good things that we want to do with the, the reality, but also like that, that reality of, of who we are and that even if we don't accomplish a single thing, like we could never succeed in, in anything that we do and we're still loved by God. Mm-hmm. That, and that's, I think that's the hard, that's the hard thing. And maybe, do you think that's hard just because we're American? Like in America, I've got to be the self-made you know, man. It's an added fact. I'm reading, you've probably read this book, Soul the Apostolate. Yeah, yeah. Have you read that? Oh, yeah. I'm absolutely. rereading it right right now. And um, I forget the priest's name that wrote the book. But he, but that's what he calls out. He calls out like the spirit of Americanism. There was some encyclical written on it years and years. It's old, but it talks about like the positive and negative of Americanism, essentially. But I think some of it is some of our foundations. And I have a friend who studied metaphysics, so I don't pretend to know all of this. But I'm going to throw some stuff out here. Do I it. think be- somewhat be- because our our roots are so Protestant. Protestant is more do. Mm-hmm. Where if, like Catholic roots, like think of Italy, like you sit around a table and eat, have a four hour meal. Like there's just this m- deeper sense of being. Right. And our metaphysics is our deepest identity is like this this gift. It's it's being. And we've lost that in the Americanism. I'm going to, I'm a self-created, I'm going to do, I'm going to make all the money. I'm going to become, you know, this person. And I mean, today, like the spirit of activism and feeling like we have to earn love and, and the love that we know is so conditional Mm. as a result, it's like, oh, it drives us to, yeah, it just is like this cycle. It just drives us to, to further activism, Yeah, which is then disordered. Well, and, and activism not meaning like I've I found a cause that I really support, but like activism meaning I always have to be active. I always have to be doing something because if I'm not yes. doing something, then I'm worthless. Yes. Yeah. You ever feel that? Like I'll come I'll come back to the All rectory the some days. Oh, isn't it the worst? I'll come back and I'm like, I've got nothing to do for the next hour. I've got an appointment in an hour and I've got nothing that, that has to happen in this hour. And I'm like, if I sit down, uh, that's bad. Because that means that I'm not doing something. That means I'm being lazy. I'm like, what's wrong with me? I'm like, what, this, that's the dumbest thing I can think of. <laughs> but yep. at the same time, it's just, it's there. This thought that I'm, I'm wasting time. I'm, normal humans take a break, right? It's, it's a thing that people do. Yeah, yeah. But yes. somehow we get in our heads that, that no, we've got to be constantly working and doing all of this stuff. What is wrong with me? Right? I'm the same. I, I am the same. <laughs> the, the other part about Americanism that's that's interesting. So there's like an ecclesial dimension of of Americanism, um, which is is basically uh, trusteeism. Uh, so trusteeism is something that uh, was sort of being introduced uh, in the life of the church, and it was the idea that uh, there would be a certain level of of control. So in like, for example, a lot of the Protestant churches, uh, the pastor is hired by the board. So the board of governors for for the church hires the pastor and they kind of determine who they want as a pastor, what kind of person they want as a pastor. Whereas in the church, it doesn't work that way. Uh, you, you are a priest and you are sent to this parish by, by the bishop. The bishop determines this. The bishop can consult anybody he wants. He can, he can ask for, for uh, 
input from people. But in the end, the bishop has to make a decision about who's going to, to what parish. Sort of like trusteeism, Americanism was in, within the church was this idea that, no, we're going to follow the American Protestant model of a board hiring a pastor, and, and we should be able to kind of pick who, who we want. And so part of the Americanism is saying, no, there's, there's actually got to be a certain humility and trust. And, and I think that's one thing that we definitely forget. This is more on the, on the side of the, like the life of the church, like some humility and trust that God is the one who's taking care of things. So like mm-hmm. your pastor or don't like him, God's the one in control. And yep. maybe if we prayed more through the difficulty that we have at a particular parish, we could find some peace. We could trust mm-hmm. that God's really in control instead of thinking that we always know. I mean, I think that would go well for all of us too, just in, in terms of like the life of the church right now. If we, if we, if we remembered that, yeah, we should probably be praying for the good of the church and entrusting ourselves and everything that's happening to God, because there's, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in the life of the church right now. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but like, it's, it's crazy right now. A little bit. <laughs> there's, there's some nutty things happening, but like I catch myself all the time. Like, yeah, I've got plenty of ideas and, and I definitely know better and I'm, I'm definitely correct about this. And, and even if I am definitely correct about it and I'm usually right about all things, you know, no. yes. Oh, <laughs> but, yes. But like, even if I'm, even if I'm in that place where I'm like, yeah, I, I think I've got this or I've, I've got the better idea, man, how many times did I just forget entirely that I should have brought that to God, that I need to lay that on the altar before mm-hmm. Jesus and, and give it to him. Yep. Don't we do the same thing with, with a lot of stuff? Everything. Yeah. And we think that we have to do and we have to manipulate and we have to control. And it's like, where's the surrender to God? How do you teach an athlete that kind of surrender? So much of their life is, is built around competing and achieving yep. and pushing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you help them understand the idea of surrender? I mean, I think within sport, there's a lot that you can't control, that you desire to control. And so it's like, okay, what can you control and what can you work at? But the rest, you surrender. And even what you do, you surrender. Um, and, and you are called to compete, right, in a, in a virtuous way. You are called to to work your hardest and to control what you can. But at the end of the day, even that, there's so many things that are out of your control. That's what you surrender. Hmm. Yeah. Do you find, like, are you using sports psychology too <laughs> in this? Because it's, it's both the, the spiritual dimension, like unlocking that for them, but then also just like, you got to know how an athlete thinks, how their brain's working. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. And uh, yeah, they love, it's cool because athletes, it's actually a really cool entry point. Athletes love mental toughness. So I have a talk I give on mental toughness, but really I'm teaching them spiritual warfare. Like I'm teaching them to control their minds, but in ways that's, that's truthful or truth filled. Yeah. Because it's a battle for the mind. Like there's a whole spiritual level to it. Um, you know, or I just had an athlete call me up the other day and she's like, she's like, I, I made a decision. She goes, I need your help. I made a decision that I'm not going to let my sport affect my mood anymore. It's like, sweet. Awesome. 
like you're gonna care about it but again she'd get nervous or she'd get like it would just ruin her day if she had a bad practice and i'm like okay this is great now we gotta work on principles and ways again rooting her deeper in her identity but just statements and combating lies ways that she can actually maintain that mindset right um so it's cool i'm not gonna let my sport affect my mood that's hard though oh it's so hard so hard because if especially when you're so committed like i don't i don't know if i could do that and i'm not i'm not an athlete but like i'm thinking back Mm -hmm. to like man 2015, the Mets were in the World Series, and it affected my mood, like, badly. <laughs> I was, <laughs> was, every day, it was all I could think about all day long. <laughs> it's like, what what the heck is yeah. happening here? Man, I think it's a good move, though. That's, that's, the, that's the right attitude. It's that's right. the right approach. All right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you don't care. It doesn't mean you're not passionate. It just means, like, you know, you're not unable to fall asleep because you know you have 6 a.m. fitness in the morning you know and you know you, you there's this freedom i guess helping her discover deeper freedom to play your sport and when that's her whole life you know it's like yeah she's gonna be amp- more amped up when they're in the you know they made it to the final four this year so when they made it to the final four yeah there's gonna be more passion and more emotion but can't live like that can't be your norm it's just an exhausting way to to try to live yeah it can't affect everything there's there's got to be an ability to detach but that's where the Mm -hmm. deeper identity comes in isn't it like Mm -hmm. it's necessary to be able like we're talking about rest before uh it's it's important to be able to sit down and take a break and and to rest it doesn't mean that your identity changes entirely it's that that part of you that is very simply and at your core a child of god is allowed to to be the one that that is most present or most vocal mm. most most active and the party that's that's the athlete is able to say all right i'm going to i'm going to go take a break now like the athlete gets yeah. to rest and the the truth of of your your most foundational being is able to come out, is able to be present. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I love how you put that. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause the, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I, I see this happening so in so many other ways too. Like I think sports is, is we just talked uh, on the podcast with uh, a guy named uh, Marty Walker uh, about, he runs uh, inner Connecticut football club and he's, mm played professionally in, in England and Ireland. Um, so he's got a whole background in, in sports and sports psychology. Uh, but he, he, even he was talking about like how easily people get so caught up in, in the game, but the game can be so good. The sport can be so good. And like mm-hmm. some, some of our best stories are told like John Paul II, like you said before, uh, that this is, this is like the medium through which we express something that's really true about ourselves. Um, and some mm-hmm. of the, I think, what's your favorite sports movie? Oh, gosh. Mm, I'm going to say Remember the Titans. Okay. Nice. That's a good one. Okay. It's a classic. It is. It is. I'm, I'm Field of Dreams, but that's because, like, baseball is the, okay, the, the sport that's favorite yep. to me. And I you, said Miracle. You know, there's a couple that are just so good. But these, but. these why, why are they so good? Like, have you you've seen Ted Lasso? 
Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Tell me why you like Ted Lasso. Best. Oh my gosh. Well, especially the first season, I will just claim. But like, it's so person centered. It's not winning centered. And because it's person centered, the wins come. But he cares about like the the, the development of the uh, and the worth and loving on the specific person. Right. Actually, I have a friend who teaches a leadership class and she was like at for college athletes. And she's like, I'm going to make a whole class just on season one of Ted Lasso. Like there's so many good principles in there. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I saw one one article about it and they said that uh, this year, uh, nice is winning. And I'm going, that's that's such a dumb way to phrase it. Because yeah. like you said, it's human-centered. It's not just about being nice. They're like, yeah. no, but but he's he's so nice to everybody. Yeah, that's It's true. He is nice to everybody. But there's something so much deeper, so deeper. much deeper, like... It, this is human centered. It's it's uncovering the dignity of the person. Like yes, ah, oh, it's all there. But I think sports has a unique way of it doing is. that. I do. I agree. Right, and so if sports has that unique way of uncovering um, something really deep in the human person, showing us something about ourselves and, and who we are, what we're about. Um, then, then, then there's a, a communication that can happen. So sports is is a great analogy for it, um, but this would apply to like the same stuff that we're talking about. This applies like if you're a great musician or if if you're an actor, uh, and your acting days wind down, like you're not going to get to act professionally. Not not everybody does. Um, mm-hmm. You're you're a musician your whole life, and you're not going to be able to play professionally because not not everybody does. Um, it doesn't mean that music isn't important. It doesn't mean that uh, your acting isn't important. Even people like they, they want to write, they, they want to do these things. It doesn't mean that those things aren't important and you're not good at it. It's just not going to be the, the profession that you have. So where's mm-hmm. your worth? Like where's your truest worth? And helping people to uncover that and, and discover it and to, to see like, yeah, just what they're, what they really are. Man. Mm-hmm. Man, it's so good. It, it really is. All right. As you carry out this ministry with Fierce, uh, what's your biggest challenge? Feeling like, again, it's what we've talked about. I'm not doing enough. Yeah. Either looking at my schedule and saying, oh, I wasted this time or, oh, I should have done that better. Or I live in ideals too much sometimes. Or looking at the culture and saying there's so like it's an uphill battle and getting discouraged by that. Though I kind of take that more as like, let's go. It's a challenge. But there are days when I feel like I'm not doing enough. And again, that's that I have to fight that. I'm not defined by what I do. And it's the Lord that's doing it anyway. So sometimes I find when I like take a step back and I'm just like, all right, fine, Lord, like you do it. Like I was had the flu after I was at a conference, I had the flu and I was like, I was like, I couldn't get up for a week. And like so many graces came that week without me doing anything. And it's just like the good reminder that I'm not in control. (laughs) Yeah. There's the, uh, what is it? The uh, I can't think of the the phrase now. 
don't know, but just that 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 sense of like, I'm in this fight, but I'm not really the one fighting. As as mm-hmm. much as I'm trying to, you know. Do you ever find like, the longer you do this, the more you see the need, and the more clear the need becomes. For sure. Like you knew the need from the inside because you experienced it yourself as an athlete, as somebody who had to transition yeah. away from, from playing competitively and, and doing all of this stuff. So you knew the need uh, internally in your own experience, but then, you know, now what is it? Eight years, six years that you've been doing this. Mm, I can't remember. 2016, seven, seven years. Okay. So seven years in and you've impacted probably I'm going to bet. Okay. I'm going to bet that you have impacted more people than you anticipated. It was possible to impact when you started this. Yes and no. Okay. Because I, I had this like grand vision, like we're going to change the culture. And so that's a lot more people, but I will say what we've been able to do up until this point and the depth and how it's happened has all been a surprise. Yeah. But then as you do it, there's more people like there's more athletes, newer, deeper, unanticipated issues and wounds. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's gotta be a cultural craziness. Yeah. There's, there's gotta be a certain moment where you, you look out and it's like Jesus looking out and saying, uh, the harvest is, is ripe, but, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers for the harvest to, to bring it in because mm-hmm. man, there's just, there's so much that needs to be done so much out there. How, how's your team keep growing then at fierce? We just hired our third person. So we're growing. I mean, that's a person a year in the last two years. So that's good. Yeah. We're getting there, but it is so nice to have people in it with me. Yeah, to know that you're so not nice. you're not the only one doing this. Exactly. Like I got the flu at this conference and it was our first time the team was together. And it, I was just I was like, "Lord, what the heck? Like I'm here." And he was just like, "No, your your teammate, your new teammates like they got this. Like it's not all about you." And I was like, "Touche. I'm going to go <laughs> take a nap." <laughs> Touche, God. I think that, that sounds like a great excuse for a nap. It's not all about me, so I got to go take a nap now. Like, yeah, yeah. I needed one desperately because yeah. I was sick, but yeah. So it's wow. good. <laughs> now the, uh, all right. So that's, that's the biggest challenge is just like seeing how big the work really is, how much need is out mm-hmm. there and sometimes not feeling enough, realizing yeah. that the very same things that you're trying to help people to overcome still affect you. Oh yeah, but that's Which that's is so probably good because then is. I'm relatable. <laughs> yep. Well, it also, but it, that also makes it possible for you to have empathy, right? Yeah. Like, sure. If if priests don't go to confession, do you know like what what happens to us when we're in the confessional hearing? Like, we become lousy confessors because like mm-hmm. we lose our, our our sympathy and our our kindness to people. Because I'm like, yeah, you're a sinner, me too. Welcome to the club, right? Right. But like so like when when you can can recognize your own your own need for healing and and your own kind of continued struggle in that but that no I know that struggle 
and I'm not going to impose my personal experience of that struggle on, on yours, but I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I can, I can walk with you in that. It, uh, it enables you to accompany. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right then. Seven years of fierce athlete. Greatest blessing. I just keep thinking, like, as you said, I just like picture different women. It's, it's helping women realize their true identity. It's helping them heal. It's, it's like, yeah, the accompaniment that I get to do with these women, it's like the greatest gift to see God touch their lives and then for them to see the importance of God in their lives. Mm. Um, yeah, it's awesome. That's why I keep waking up, you know, and doing it. <laughs> well, don't stop. <laughs> I love what you're doing. I'm not. Keep doing it. Thank it's you. it's so good. Uh, all right, last thing, last thing. All right. You have your feet very firmly planted on the ground, uh, and and you also have, uh, I think, a heart that's incredibly open to where God's leading and and to what God is is asking. Uh, as you minister, as you pray, as, as you work on different things, um, what do you see out there that you want priests in particular to know about and to hear? Like based on the, on the ministry that you're doing, uh, on the prayers that, that, you, that you offer and, and the way that you're experiencing all this, um, what mm. would you want priests to know or to, or to do? Uh, I would say it's like hard to even say this. It's more of a sentiment. Well, both and one, I have such an appreciation for priests and your yes, but two, your fatherhood is so needed and is can be, and is so healing to women. Hmm. Like it's your fatherhood that has such a capacity to heal women's hearts. And it can be in how you treat them, how you are in the confessional, how you're gentle with them. I heard somebody say the other day, where was I? But they just said like, you know, a woman can say to another woman, oh, it's a homily. A woman, this Dominican priest is like, a woman can say to another woman, you're good, you're beautiful, you're enough. And she'll take it into consideration. But when a man that she trusts says that to her, it's gold. And that really struck me. I'm like, that is so true. When a man, especially a father figure that she trusts, says those things to her, she she takes it as gold because that's what her heart desires to hear. Mm. Um, and so it's like I think about when in confession, like a priest will just say, you are good or you are enough. Or I see that, you know, you're really attuned to the Lord and trying and it, there's this, this gentleness and their mer this mercy there. But also, I mean, I'm an athlete. I like to be challenged too, but that fatherhood and in, in a, in a world where so many women have grown up with either absent fathers or athletes, like they a lot of times, not that it's true, but believe in the conditional love of their father. Well, if only I play well, is he going to love me? Um, I think that love from, from a, a spiritual father is just so good. Wow. There you have it. That's great. And thank you for the ways that you do that already because you have healed hearts. 
That's cool. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm trying to remember so to good. ask all all the guests a question of like, what what do you want priests to know? Because mm. I feel like we uh, we priests sometimes think that we've already got it figured out, mm. and so to hear from from people, especially people who are really active in in their ministries and who are really doing something in the vineyard, like what do you see as the thing that, that priests need to hear? And uh, it's interesting because spiritual fatherhood is something that's been coming up a lot in conversations that I've had with a lot of people. Uh, so mm. I'm, I'm grateful to hear it today because I, I think it's true. Like spiritual fatherhood can provide such a corrective. Good spiritual fathers yeah. can, can be a corrective to a, a bad experience or to just a, to a lie that's been internalized. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. I think it's the, the other way around too that like spiritual motherhood can be such a yes. corrective for, for men who have been wounded or who have I think a lot of men's wounds are often self inflicted. <laughs> like, mm. like we're our own worst enemy sometimes. But like that that great spiritual motherhood can be so healing. Yeah. Yeah. Man. I agree with that too. All right. Well, listen, Samantha, it's really great to see you. Awesome to talk to you about this. And I'm you too. I'm so happy for what you're doing. Please don't stop. Please keep going with Thanks. this. It's incredible. Okay. Really awesome. Thank to see you. Me. Thank you. Yeah, it's taken off. I'm humbled. I mean, the, the call that the Lord has asked me is just a deeper depth right now. But it's like, I mean, I'm about to release a book. I'm on like, have no all way. these TV shows lined up. Like, yeah, there's all these things. And again, they're just, they're fruits. What's the book called? They're more tangible fruits. Be Fierce, The Athlete's Guide to Growing Physically, Mentally, and Spiritually. Okay. So if you know an athlete, it's written specifically for women, but it's pretty generic. Um, it's got a lot of practicals in it. Okay. So that's that's literally releasing like imminently. Wow. Who's it's publishing done. it? It's just self-published. Sweet. Uh, just because we're so niche, so it'll be available on fierce.org, our website, um, within the next few weeks, which is awesome. Oh, that's so exciting. It's been a long time in the making, so I'm just excited to like have it done. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the editing process oh, is just a bear. Congratulations. Um, that's so cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so that's exciting. But at the end of the day, it's like my, my call of my heart has just been more more depth of the Lord. Um, but the fruit of that has been these just really beautiful doors opening. So, and we just launched a new branch for coaches, fierce coach like two weeks ago. So there's just, we're growing. That's awesome. Keep it up, man. <laughs> it's so good. Thanks. Uh, trying. Yeah. I'm reminded. I, I, I remind the Lord all the time. I'm like, you know how weak I am, but you still chose me to do this. So that one's on you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all your fault lord <laughs> yeah yeah oh man no, it's it's a great delight i love it beautiful all right sam it's great talking to you i really appreciate you, too, you doing father. this god bless you and absolutely uh, so fun man, keep going keep doing this it's just it's so cool to see what's happening um yeah i'm i'm, I'm really i'm proud of you uh but i just i just love what, what you're doing it's it's great it's great 
Thanks, Father. I appreciate that. I'm proud of you, too. Hey, thanks. We'll both keep going. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Thanks, Sam. God bless you.